Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. All right, party people, how we doing today? That was a bit lame. All right, um, so let me remind you of something that, that is, that is going to happen. Four o'clock today, baptism. Here, you are, th- okay. you are thinking about not being here. You're wrong. You are going to cancel your plans right now. You're going to call your mom and say, I can't come to your house. Uh, you're going to call your grandma. You're going to call your friends. Tell them you got COVID. I don't tell them you got COVID, but tell them something came up. Something happened, and you're having a quarantine here at 4 o'clock today. We're celebrating what Jesus is doing. Like this is, if, if you are here today and you don't come tonight, that's just like your team uh, making the Super Bowl and you deciding that you're not going to go to the game. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, this is like celebrating what Jesus has done in people's lives. This is who we are. Uh, we like to party. We like to get a little rowdy. Uh, so that's what it's going to look like today. Uh, we got dinner covered for you. We have a, a bounce castle, obstacle course for the kids, volleyball. If you want to get spiked on, then show up because I'm going to be out there uh, playing volleyball. So it's going to be fun. Just hands around. Hey, online, get in your car. Turn the live stream off. Get in your car and drive. Just start coming this way and uh, come and celebrate with us. It is going to be a party and uh, man, I, I cannot wait for it. Seriously, can't wait. If you're a first-time guest, you're like, who is this guy? Uh, my, my name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're excited uh, that, that you're here today. If you're a first-time guest, we actually have a gift for you just to say thank you for coming and uh, hanging out with us. Uh, if you take that red card that's in front of you in the seat back, uh, fill it out, name, email, uh, whatever information, however we can get in touch with you. We'd love to connect. And uh, you can take that by the connection bar on your way out the door. Uh, that's the bar there in the back of the auditorium. And uh, man, we'd love to put something in your hands uh, just to say thank you uh, for coming and hanging out. So this is the last uh, church in this series. We've been going through the book of Revelation, the seven uh, churches in the book of Revelation. We're looking at church letter number seven today. Uh, but I want to start by kind of getting to know who's in the room uh, who I'm dealing with. Um, so a little, little audience participation time. Raise your hand if growing up uh, your parents spanked you, if you were bad. Okay. Okay. For those of you that got your hand down, we can tell. <laughs> we can tell you didn't get spanked. We know it. It's obvious uh, that you were not disciplined as a kid. Man, my, my parents spanked me. And sometimes, you, you know, you meet a parent, you're like, well, spanking doesn't work for every child, okay? And I'm like, the reason it's not working is because your dad didn't hit you as hard as my dad hit me. So try it again and kind of get into it, get a step into it uh, and see. Don't tell me it doesn't work. Um, So here's the deal. Uh, Raise your hand if uh, your parents uh, spanked you with their hand. Right? Okay. Keep them up. How about a belt? Anybody got the belt? Okay. Anybody got a paddle? We had a paddle. And uh, anybody get hit with a switch? I never got hit with a switch, right? Um, So good. Anybody's parents, it, it, it doesn't matter. You got spanked with whatever was within arm's length. Wooden spoon, phone book, bed slat, you know, whatever, like whatever they can, whatever they can do. Forehand, backhand, overhand, the whole deal. Um, well, good. All right, so uh, quick show of hands. Whose dad was the disciplinarian? That, that's, that's who did it. Okay, okay. Whose mom was the disciplinarian? Let's go. We got some strong women. Uh, all right, so uh, if, for, for those of you whose dad spanked you, did your mom ever, ever say this to you? Uh, you just wait until your dad gets home. 
Your mom ever say that? My mom never said that. My mom never waited for dad to get home. Her mindset was, why wait until dad can get home when I can just spank you now? And uh, so that's how we were raised. That's why I'm such an outstanding citizen, uh, because my mom spanked me. But here's the problem, though. When, uh, when, when my mom would spank me, it wasn't like that was over. Because when my dad got home and he found out that we upset my mom so much so that she had to spank us, we would get spanked by my dad for upsetting my mom. So like, we're not going to have this. Like, you're not going to treat your mom like that. Uh, and, and so dad, we, we get two spankings. It, it, that was just, the, that was just the deal. Uh, your dad ever do this to you or your mom, um, your dad ever, uh, walk into the room and give you a talk before you got a spanking? <laughs> I'm getting PTSD just thinking about it, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. So here's the phrase that they used to throw out too. Tell me, tell me this wasn't frustrating. You, you, your dad ever look at you and say, he, he, he did this to my brother and I, son, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And so, like, I'm trying to bargain with my dad at this point. I'm like, Dad, it's not fair that you are going to be hurt over something that I did, okay? So I say we don't do this spanking because that's the last thing. I don't want you to be hurt. That's not fair. I don't want you to have to spank me, and it hurt your heart. So let's skip the spanking. I learned my lesson. I don't need to be spanked. Don't worry about it. And uh, Dad never had that. Like, by the time I got halfway through that talk, I could hear the belt coming through the loops. It's like, (laughs) my dad had (laughs) my dad had a a 32-inch waist, but, but when that belt was coming through those loops, it was like a 40-inch belt. I don't know what the deal was. It's like slow motion coming out. It's crazy. Um, so we got spanked up. When you, when you read the letter to this church in the book of Revelation, the seventh letter to the seventh church, here's what you're going to see. Jesus is giving these people a spiritual spanking. That's what you're going to notice when you, when you read this text. There, there are seven churches, and, and two of the churches that Jesus writes this letter to uh, Everything that he says is positive. He doesn't say a single negative thing about the church. Pretty, pretty amazing. Now, the three churches in the middle, Jesus goes half and half. He says, Here, I'm proud of you. I'm going to encourage you. These are some good things that you're doing. And then he says, but there's also some areas of improvement. There, there, there's some things that you need to change and get better at. But, but out of the seven churches, there are two churches, including the church that we're going to look at today, two churches where Jesus doesn't have a single positive thing to say. The church in Laodicea that that we're going to look at in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14 today, like Jesus doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm going to say some nice things. There are some good things that you're doing. Nope. Go straight in with the belt, straight into the chapter, pulling his belt off, right? It's like this this is what's coming to them. And so for the backdrop of this story, of this this letter, we see in in Revelation chapter 3, if you have your Bible, let's do there. Flip all the way to the back uh, to Revelation. Or if you have your app, all the sermon notes will be there. Uh, on your phone or or check out the big Bible on the screen behind me. Uh, Starting in verse 14, here's here's how Jesus starts this letter, this this spiritual spanking to this church in Laodicea. To to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is writing this letter and so he's introducing himself. He says, I want you to know who is writing this letter. And so he begins to list names for himself. Verse, verse 14 or 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, meaning you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
Now that may sound weird. You're like, what, what's, what's all the, the water and the hot and cold and spitting? Like what's going on here? Um, let me give you a little background on this. The, the city of Laodicea was located between two major cities. And uh, to, the, to, the, to the one side of the city is a, a, a city called Colossa. Um, this is the city where Paul writes the letter uh, in the book of the Bible, Colossians. Um, so this city is known uh, for its cold water. See, Colossae was at the base of a mountain, and this particular mountain had snow on top of the mountain 10 out of the 12 months out of the year. So here's what would happen all year round. This ice from the top of this mountain, this spring ice water would melt and it would fill reservoirs in the city of Colossae. And so this town, this city had ice cold mountain spring purified water all year round. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but you got to remember, there were no refrigerators. There was no walking up to your refrigerator in your kitchen and putting your cup out up and, and you get purified, ice-cold drinking water anytime you wanted it like this. Most people did not have that, but this city had ice-cold, the best-tasting water of anywhere around. They were kind of famous for it. Um, and so the, the best water that money could buy, the cleanest, the brightest, the, the purest, the coldest water to quench people's thirst. Now, on the other side of Laodicea, there is a, a city called Hierapolis. Now, it was kind of on the north end, and Hierapolis was also known for water, but it was on the other end. Uh, underneath the city were uh, mineral geysers. And so they had these geysers that had hot water, all year round. Now again, there's not a hot water heater out tank outside of your house. And so to have hot water in this era was a really big deal. And on top of that, the water had a lot of minerals in it. And so uh, the water was known for keeping your skin looking good. It makes you feel young. It was good for your muscles. Uh, this town, Hierapolis, would uh, brand itself as a, as a tourist destination. If you want to come and relax, if you want to unplug and and, and, and just re-energize, then people would come from miles around to this city and they would, they would literally just sit and bathe in this mineral water, kept them young, kept them feeling good. They advertised themselves as like a, a spa destination. So think of going to that. And so that was the two cities that surrounded uh, Laodicea. But here's the thing about Laodicea in the middle, they didn't have a water source. There was nowhere they could get it from in their own city. And so they actually brought in water from the two cities that I just described. Well, here's the problem though. They built this aqueduct system where pipes came from other cities into theirs, but, but when they put a pipe uh, from Colossae, the problem is uh, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It was just kind of room temperature. And the same thing happened when they brought the water in from Hierapolis. It, it wasn't hot spa steamy water anymore. It was just room temperature and to make matters worse, the water had so many minerals in it that it was bitter. You couldn't even drink it. And so the, the, the water in Laodicea City was a mixture of these two. The cold water that wasn't very cold anymore and the hot water that wasn't hot at all anymore. And they mix it together and it's filled with minerals and so it's terrible to drink. This city was known for their bad drinking water. And Jesus uses this analogy to get their attention. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. Because listen, hot water has a purpose, right? People enjoy hot water. Cold water has a purpose. It's very refreshing. People enjoy hot water. But do you know what people don't like? Room temperature water. Water that's just on the counter. I mean, think about that. 
Uh, even coffee shops get that today. If you go to a coffee shop, you walk up to the counter and I'll say, I want, a, I want a caramel latte. First question they're gonna ask you is, you want it hot or you want it iced? Because they know, like, it's either gonna be one or the other. It's hot or iced. Nobody says, I want a caramel latte and can you leave it on the counter for an hour and I'll come back and pick it up because that's how I like to drink it. No, it's one or the other. Anything in the middle doesn't have a purpose. And so Jesus got their attention with this analogy and not making fun of the water, but he's actually talking about their spiritual life. He says, as a church, you're neither hot nor cold. You, you've lost your purpose. You don't even know why you exist. You don't even know why you gather on a Sunday morning. Like you lost the fire, you lost the passion. And, and like, I wish that you were one or the other. Like I wish that you were either hot or cold because both of those meet a need. Both of those have a purpose. Both of those bring fulfillment or enjoyment or satisfaction. But you, nah, you're in the middle. And nobody wants the middle. In fact, he uses some language here. Like when Jesus says, when I, when I think about your church, when I look at the church in Laodicea, scripture says that it's like having water in your mouth that's room temperature. And what do you do? You end up just spitting it out. Now, the English translation of this verse doesn't do it justice because when you read it in, in your version and in mine, uh, it says, Jesus said, and I will spit you out of my mouth. But if you look at what the Greek, the original language says in the book of Revelation, uh, that word for spit you out of my mouth is violently vomit. Jesus looks at a church and says, when I think of you, it makes me want to gag. When I think of you, and I see what you're doing, I throw up a little bit in my mouth. Yikes. <laughs> you imagine Jesus saying, like, what in the world did these people do? What in the world did they say? What did they do? What did they go through? Like, what is this that would make Jesus look at a group of people that call themselves the church and say, like, when I see you and think of you, it makes me, like, violently want to throw up everywhere. When verse 17, we see Jesus describes, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm around that, that like, seriously, I can't even be around you. I can't, like, I, it, it's, it's uncontrollable what my reaction and my response is when I'm around you. Verse 17, he says, here's why. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a single thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus gives us some insight into why he has the response that he does when he sees this church. See, this church is convinced, he says, you don't need anything or anyone. You think you are totally self-sufficient. Spiritually speaking, this church, this is crazy, this church got to a place where they didn't even think they needed Jesus to be a church. They didn't need Jesus in any part of their lives. And, and if you know anything about self-sufficiency, people that think, I don't need anyone else, I'm totally self-sufficient with me, if you think about that, you know what the root of that is? It's pride. It's pride. Scripture says that pride is one of the seven deadliest sins that can be in our lives. Here's what pride does. This church struggled with spiritual pride in the fact that they were self-sufficient. Here's what pride keeps you from. Pride keeps you from celebrating someone else's successes. 
Pride keeps you from apologizing even when you know you're wrong. Your pride just, just won't let you do it. Pride keeps you from forgiving someone that hurt you. Pride keeps you from admitting your own weaknesses. And if you're not willing to admit that you have weaknesses, there's no chance of them getting any better and moving into strengths. Pride uh, keeps you from admitting that you need help in your marriage, in your finances, in your physical, emotional, mental, even in your spiritual life. If your pride is too big, then you won't even be willing to admit that there's a, a struggle, there's an area that you need help in. This was these people right here that Jesus was describing. Uh, pride keeps you from admitting that you don't know what you're doing, even when everyone around you already knows that you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> don't look at anybody right now. <laughs> Pride's dangerous spiritually. And Jesus says, man, that's your problem. Pride causes you to do a few things in your life. Pride will cause you to keep arguing your point even after you realize that your point is wrong and you're wrong. But you just won't stop arguing. You won't let it go. Pride causes you to criticize others instead of looking inward at what your contribution to the problem might actually be. Pride causes you to lie about things uh, because you don't want other people to think less of you. Pride causes you to buy things to impress people that, you, that aren't even paying attention to you in the first place. Hey, social media. <laughs> Pride will make you post things about your life, only the highlight reel, because you don't want anybody to know that you're not a perfect parent, that you're not a perfect spouse, that, that you don't keep your house perfect every time, that, that everything about your life isn't perfect. And so we put up this facade, and, and that's pride. And Jesus says, spiritually speaking, we've got a, a church here that is spiritually prideful. Did you know that, that there's a chance that our team can come in here every Sunday morning and pull off a worship experience like this, even if God doesn't show up? Do you know our band is good enough to where we can play a song? And listen, I, we know what songs you like and what songs you don't like. And we can pick your favorite song and we can swell it at the right time. And we can do stuff with the lights that'll make a tingle go up your back. And you're like, oh, it's my favorite song. Tears, emotions, hands. We can do that without God. Did you know that? Did you know that I know how to craft a message and throw in some jokes and make good eye contact and menu, uh, men, okay, all right, see, that's God telling me. You need to watch yourself. <laughs> I can memorize a manuscript, maybe. Uh, and I can impress people with a speech and I don't need God to do that. Isn't that crazy? That we can produce an emotional response in the lives of people and God can be totally outside of it. Do you know that can happen in your life as well? Like you can look at God and say, hey, you know what? I got a job and family's going well and I've made good financial decisions. And, and so like I'm set, God, here's the deal, God. Like I, I really don't need you right now. If, it, if there's an emergency, I'll call you, but I can actually live my life and live a pretty good life and accomplish some great things and God can be totally absent from it. And that's this church. They're pulling off the worship services. They're singing the songs. They're making it happen. They look good on the outside. And God said, but I'm not anywhere near it because you're self-sufficient. You're acting like you don't need me. You can get the desired results in your life without you. You've lost your purpose. You've lost your calling. You forgot who gives all of this to you. 
And so they struggle with this pride. I want, I want to show you today three quick areas from this text where pride can sneak into your life. Not just physically and emotionally and mentally and in your relationships and in your marriage and in your finances, but spiritually as well. There's three phrases that Jesus points out that these people have said that are sources of pride that I want to warn you against. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Um, if you're not taking notes, you might be too prideful, so take notes. Number one, uh, I don't need your help. You ever said that spiritually? God, I don't need your help. I can handle this on my own. I'm smart. I make good decisions. I got, I got a house that's paid for. I got a job that, that, that makes it happen. Like I'm smart enough. I've been to school. I got the wisdom. I got the experience. God, I don't need your help. This is an example. He says it right there. Jesus said it right there in verse 17. He says, you have convinced yourself that I don't need anyone I don't need anything. Jesus was actually throwing to a moment in, in history. In the year 60 AD, uh, historians tell us that a, a, an earthquake, massive earthquake, hit the city of Laodicea and leveled the entire thing. But here's what history tells us. The Roman emperor stepped in and said, I want to give you guys some money to help you rebuild your city. It's like federal government stepping in. But here's what the people of Laodicea said. We don't want a dime of your money because we have enough money on our own. We can rebuild it ourselves. Even more than their love of money was their sense of pride and arrogance that even though our city has been leveled, I don't want any help from anyone else. We'll rebuild it ourselves. Can you imagine if that happened today? Right? Remember when the, the hurricanes came through Florida and Texas this year and and flooding and devastation. Like, can you imagine the federal government stepping in and saying, hey, we want to provide like billions of dollars to help you rebuild and FEMA and federal aid. And like, we're going to help you with food and water. Like, what if the governor of, of either Florida or Texas had a news conference and, and said, hey, check it out, federal government. I don't want a dime from you. We're going to fix it ourselves. We'll pull our own self up by our bootstraps. Like, that would never happen. I've never met a politician that didn't want more money. Like, that's never going to happen. Even if you didn't need the money, they're like, yes, give us the money. We'll take all that we can get. But these people were so proud, didn't need help from a single person that, that they said, no, I don't want any money. We can do it ourselves, and we are going to take all the credit for it. Jesus says, you have this attitude of, of I, I don't need your help, even in our spiritual lives. This church looked and said, Jesus, we don't need you. We can pull off a service. We can gather a room full of people. We can live stream. We can sing songs. We got a haze machine, people. We got nice lights. We got a production team working the dials in the back. We got a video team downstairs putting it on the internet, live stream. We don't need you, God. We know how to sing. We know how to give a talk. We know how to hit the right buttons with people. Is that all we're doing? Because if so, I don't want to do it anymore. The Holy Spirit is who changes people's lives, not some slick talker. I mean, the Holy Spirit impacts us, and that's the way that God speaks to us, not making you cry by playing your favorite song really loud. Jesus looks and says, I know you don't think you need anything, and spiritually you're, you're hollow, you forgot who you are. You forgot your, your purpose. Jesus says, you, you think you're rich. 
You think you're self-sufficient. You think you're so good. But in reality, uh, you need something. Because spiritually speaking, you're, you're broken. So many people, man, this will infiltrate various parts of our lives. Man, I, I know people whose marriage is on the rocks and on the struggle bus right now. We'll offer small groups designed to help you in your marriage, but people won't sign up for it because they don't want to show up and admit that they need help in their marriage. You got people who are broke, don't know how to manage money, broke, in debt, don't have a budget, and we'll offer Financial Peace University here to help people manage their finances, but their people, their pride is so big, they don't want to show up into a room because they're afraid it's going to make the other people in the room make it look like you don't know what to do with money. And so they'd rather be broke and on the struggle bus financially than admit that they need some help. Do this in a lot of areas of our lives. Sometimes we can even look at Jesus and say, we, we see the gospel message of how Jesus can forgive you of your sins and gives you salvation. And we'll look at Jesus and say, nah, I don't need your help, man. I'm a good person. I can earn my way to God. I can impress God. I'll make sure I do more good things than I do bad things. Jesus, I don't need you to get to heaven. And the greatest gift that you've ever been given, our own pride will cause us to turn our back on it. That's these people. They looked and, and said, spiritually, Jesus, we don't even really need you, man. We're good. What a dangerous place to be in your life. When we get to the point where our pride makes us look at others and look at Jesus and say, man, I don't need your help. That was a church at Laodicea. The second pride phrase that creeps into your life and in mine, it's obvious in them. Write this down. Number two, I'm better than them. You ever said that about somebody? Now, no, we wouldn't admit that, but we think it, don't we? I'm better than them. Here's why the people of Laodicea knew that they were better. Here's a little, little history here. Uh, Laodicea, uh, Laodicea had a, was the center of the fashion industry. Uh, one of the reasons why is because they had a special breed of sheep that had black wool that only was located in their area. And so they used this black wool to make what we would call designer clothes. Really, really expensive. The finest wool, this most unique black color. Like you knew this color. If somebody was wearing wool in this color, you knew, it was just like wearing a, a logo of a really nice luxury brand. Like people knew, oh man, that's wool from Laodicea. Only the rich have those. Only the, the people that have the massive wealth wear those types of shirts. And so so they were rich, like they knew it. Like we're better than you. We got the black wool, man. We're, we're, we dress better than, than everyone else. Laodicea had a huge bank in it. One of the reasons why they had a huge bank was because these people had so much gold, they didn't know what to do with it. They said, well, here's what we're gonna do. The regular people, they trade and barter with food or animals or clothes. We're going to make our own currency. And so they took all their gold, so much gold, they didn't know what to do with it. They piled it up, they melted it down, and they made coins out of it that had their city's name on it. They said, man, we are so rich. We don't need anybody. We don't need federal money. We print our own money, man. That's how rich we are. We don't need you. We're better than you are because we have that. There's a huge medical university in Laodicea. The smartest, best doctors in the world were located in this city. And they're also famous for making an, an eye ointment, like 2,000-year-old like Visine, right? 
And it healed people's uh, vision problems. And people would travel from thousands of miles away and bring all the money they had just to purchase some of this eye ointment that, that would help them see and help them overcome some of the problems medically that they were having. So not only were these people filthy rich, not only did they wear the finest clothes that money could buy, not only were they really smart, uh, some of the smartest doctors in creating some of these great things, like, like no wonder they had the mentality of I'm better than you. They kind of were. And Jesus says, but I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about spiritually. You begin to think that, that you're better than, than other people. Look at how Jesus pulls it all together. He says, you know what you really are? You might not even realize this, but you are poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Now that would have been a slap to the face to lay out a sea because they're like, oh, for time out. First of all, first of all, we are not poor. We got our own bank. We got our own money. Did you realize, Jesus, I got so much gold that I didn't know what to do with it? And so I, I, I put it in a bank, and they made money out of it, and we passed it out around the world. That's how rich I am. He says, wait a minute, you're blind. <laughs> Jesus, obviously you don't know that there's a big medical center here, and we make eye ointment that, that cures eye uh, problems for people all over the world. Like, if you're blind and lay out to see it, that's not going to happen. We, we invented medicine for that. And naked... Are you kidding me? You see this black shirt I got on? This is the finest money can buy, bro. You can't get this wool anywhere else. This is black wool from Laodicea. Like, yeah, I don't know what you do. Not only am I not naked, I have the finest clothes that money can buy. But Jesus wasn't talking about the outside. He was talking about spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, you're bankrupt. Spiritually speaking, like you're blind, you don't even know that you have a problem right now. You can't even see it. Your pride is blinding you so much, you don't even know you got a problem. And spiritually speaking, like you, there, there's nothing on the outside. Like you, you, you're like the, the, the emperor that didn't realize he didn't have any clothes on, man. Like, like you think everything's good, but spiritually there's a void there. And your pride won't allow you to see that. We can do that in our lives as well. We can begin to think that uh, we can point at other people and say, you know, my, my life, hey, listen, my life's not perfect, but it's not like that guy. <laughs> like, at least I don't have his problems. At least I don't have to do that. Like, listen, I know I'm not the most generous person, but I give more than they do, right? I mean, like, occasionally I'll come in here, I'll, I'll throw a tip in the, in the jar for God, give him a little 20 bucks. But, but a lot of people don't even give, so, like, don't talk to me about that. Like, I'm, I'm better than them, spiritually speaking. We can see that. And that's what this church had, man. They were blinded by that. Didn't even realize that God was asking them to turn their life around. God was speaking to them. Verse 18, here's how he shuts it down. He says, I, I counsel you. Let me give you some advice here. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You think your gold that you minted is what you need? Nah, man. Real wealth spiritually comes from God. Don't be spiritually bankrupt, but have a, a, a bank account that's full do that so you can become rich. And, and white clothes wear, come to me for white clothes. I know you think your, your, your black clothes are, are, are sophisticated and, and all nice and fancy, but Jesus uses imagery of white as the innocence, the forgiveness that he offers in, in our spiritual lives. He said, that's what you need to put on. Like you need to put on the, the white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And, and he, I've got something to put on your eyes so that you can see. He said, spiritually speaking, you're blind and you come to me, I'll give you sight. I'll help you with those things. The third thing that Jesus says makes it very clear. This will creep up in your life as well. 
third aspect is, is number three, that doesn't apply to me. You ever said that? You ever read the Bible and think, no, that doesn't apply to me? You ever showed up on a Sunday and the pastor was talking and, and he said something? And, <laughs> check this out. Maybe when I said that I was preaching on pride this morning, your mind immediately went to that person that you wish was here instead of thinking that maybe God wants to speak to you. You ever do that? You ever show up to church and when you find out that the preacher's speaking on a, a particular subject, your mind automatically goes to someone, oh, you know who needs to hear this? I have never shared a sermon on social media at, in my life, but when I get home, I'm gonna direct message this sermon to my boss. I'm going to send it to my neighbor. He needs to hear this. She needs to know what's up with this. That's the attitude that if we're not careful, we'll have that spiritual attitude. When we read the Bible, we'll think that God wants to speak to somebody else when he's trying to speak to you. I mean, I'll do that sometimes. I'm preparing a message and I'll start to think in my mind, I hope this person's here today. <laughs> they need to hear this. And I know y'all think pastors are supposed to be perfect, but uh, not this church. <laughs> Instead of saying, all right, God, what do you want to teach me? What's your word say to me today? How do I need to change? How does this need to mold me and shape me to become the man that you call me to be? It's not for somebody else, it's for you. And that pride can creep in. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, look, I'm not talking to any other church because I'm going to tell you again about the money. I'm going to talk about the eyes. I'm going to talk about the clothes. I want everybody to know in Laodicea, I'm talking to you. There was no way around it just to make sure that their pride didn't blind them for what God had for them. Verse 19 is how we want to close it down. Jesus looks and says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. He says, I discipline, man. I, I know it feels like you just got a spank in church, but I want to be very clear on this. Those that I love, scripture says God loves you and that's why he disciplines us. I know I joked around uh, about my dad giving me the talk uh, before he, he ever gave us a spanking. But my dad wanted to make sure my, my brother and I were very clear on something. I've never been punished for a single thing in my life. I've been disciplined for a lot of things. You know the difference between those two? Uh, punishment is when your dad wants to take something that you've done in the past and rub your nose in it. Discipline is something that good dads do to make sure that the things you did in the past don't define your future moving forward. One is all about shame. One is all about setting you up for success moving forward. I want you to notice, God doesn't say, I'm going to punish you for what you did. Now, God says, I want to discipline you. Why? Because he doesn't want the church to continue being the church that they were yesterday. He says, I get it. You've made mistakes. I get it. Pride is an issue. I get it. It's a struggle. But I'm going to say this. Now I'm going to write this letter. We're going to have a hard conversation right now because I don't want you to be the same tomorrow. Like that's how much I love you. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those that he loves as a father delights in his son. Discipline is something that loving dads do when they take delight in their kids. 
Loving dads look at their kids and say, I don't want you to continue down this path. You don't want to go here, man. I don't want you to grow up and be this person. So I'm going to stop and do the hard thing now and discipline you so that your future path will be different than your current path. Man, praise God that he does that with us. Instead of just letting us wreck our lives, God steps in with loving discipline. It's what good dads do that love their kids. They step in with discipline. They say, I don't want you to go down this route. You don't understand where this leads, man. This is pain. This is shame. This is destruction. This is heartache. You're going to wreck your life. So I'm going to step in right now and say this and confront you with it. And Jesus says, come on, man, be, be earnest, be honest. Just ask yourself, man, is this me? God, where, where are the areas in my life where pride and self-sufficiency are severing the relationship and the intimacy that I have with you? God, what are you trying to teach me today? Not what are you trying to teach somebody else? Not who am I going to pass this on to? God, what are you trying to teach me? How can I be disciplined this morning so that I won't be the same person tomorrow that I am today? Man, what a gift. What a gift from God. What a, what a move of a loving dad. And Jesus gives this church, despite all of this, uh, Jesus gives this church an opportunity to, to get on the right path. Why? Because he loves them. The times that my dad disciplined my brother and I, it was about teaching us how to move forward and being different, being better on the other side of it. And that's the invitation that we get from God today. And I want you to be better I want you to experience the purpose of the church, the purpose of followers of Jesus, the fulfillment, the happiness, the satisfaction that God has for every area of your life. It takes a little discipline today, uh, but you'll experience the joy tomorrow. If you're willing to identify that a father that loves you has a clear message for you and for your life to get back on track, to honor him and to walk in the purpose that he has for your life. Can I pray for you? God, thanks for this reminder. God, help us to see where pride is wrecking our lives. God, forgive us when we've moved to a point of self-sufficiency that we're so comfortable, that we're so wealthy, uh, that we're, we're so put together that we don't think we need you, that your rules and your calling on our life doesn't apply to us that you're not calling us to faithfulness and obedience. That's for other people. God, may we transition from self-sufficiency to dependency on you. May we trade in our pride for a posture of humility. May we stop looking at others and start asking ourselves the hard questions in the way that we live our lives physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. In every aspect, God, may we honor you by humbling ourselves. Give us the wisdom and the discernment to know what to do with the words that we've just heard today. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.